We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day Seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge, the answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 231. Welcome back, Scott. They gave you the Yankees gave you a nice welcome back party tonight against the Red Sox. Hey, man, that's uh, you know the the first two games since I've been back. That's uh, that's a nice way to start this thing off. Tonight was ridiculous. The funny thing is, is I missed a, a few games this weekend because I don't even know where I was. I was in New Orleans, I think, but who knows? This I, I lost like four days of my life. But I get back, and you see all these wins that, that you know they've been coming back. They coming back. You go into Tuesday or uh, Wednesday night's game, down a run uh, after they go back and forth, and you you just know that they're going to come back. It's it's you got that feeling again that this team is never dead ever, and that you know it, if the Red Sox went up, all right, we're going to punch you back, and uh, and the way that things have been going, we're going to punch you last. 
It really is amazing what's been going on. The games over the weekend were wild, especially the one on Sunday, which obviously we covered on the last episode. But but like you said, even when, when things don't go right for this team, because a lot of things have did not go right in these first two Boston games, yet they won both of them. And they just they, they do enough. There's enough talent in that lineup and on that roster to pick everybody else up. That's why this team that's the only way a team wins seventeen out of eighteen games is when you are twenty five man deep because otherwise you're gonna eventually start losing games. And, and, you know, that's what we were saying early in the season, right? That one of the biggest things that we, we could rely on and just kind of lean on when we were going through a time that wasn't good is that the talent on this roster will win out at the end. You cannot keep these guys down for, you know, uh, an extended period of time because the talent is just too great. And what happened? As soon as that weather started warming up, as soon as we started playing some consecutive games, as soon as that talent level came in and we started playing better teams, this the you know the Yankees responded and have been playing freaking out of their minds. So uh, you know it just continued, and Boston is now in our way. So that's yep. it. <laughs> get out of the exactly. get out of the way. Exactly. It's it's the uh, it it was billed as the um, how does that saying go? An unstoppable force, immovable object. That's yeah. what this series was built up against. But the Red Sox do not know what they got themselves into. No, um, it's it's crazy. And and you know what we're seeing now too is that. You know, we're talking about the talent in the, on the team in general, but and, and I know we sound like broken records sometimes when we're talking about this, but this lineup is freaking relentless. You you both can't go are, anywhere. I mean, they both are kind of, but not the, the Yankees have power up and down this thing. And then you go to the bottom and you get a guy like Labor Torres, youngest Yankee coming up. The, the, the at-bat that he's he totally had in, changed the, it. in the eighth inning was ridiculous. It is. He has totally turned this thing around because, I mean, what what are they now? They've he's lost, lost one, one game. game I think well, he's yeah. lost one game in the two weeks he's been in the big leagues, which is just freaking ridiculous. But what he has provided in the nine spot, or I know he's batted eighth at some point, is an like a legitimate. I mean, he would be batting higher in the order on any other team. Right? Maybe they're going to move him up soon. Who knows? But he's comfortable down there, and I love it down there because he he turns that lineup over just when the 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 pitcher thinks, okay, I'm finally at the bottom of this order. No, you've got Glaber Torres coming up, and he's going to give you a tough at bat. And that's he's been in the middle of a lot of these comebacks and middle of a lot of these rallies. Uh, it's been. It's been so much fun to watch. Maybe the most fun 18 regular season games I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah, I'm sitting in the uh, in the airport about to board my plane on Sunday and uh and that's when the the you know the when Glaber gets up <laughs> and my freaking phone freezes right as the as that at bat as that at bat was happening. Um, and then I caught up, you know, after it did it. But I mean, ridiculous. I was trying to like scram to watch this game at any at any point. Yeah, um, you were having withdrawals by that point. Withdrawals I was probably shaking. from a few things, but, yeah, yeah, but yeah. definitely I, from baseball. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. I was shaking <laughs> at that point. My my life was uh, was up in up in the air. Who yes. knows? Who knows where it was going to go? Um, we've got a very fun, very busy episode today. 
in the second half of this episode, we have Brian Kenny. Scott, you spoke with him earlier this week. He made his return to the podcast, and he has been the number one hated person <laughs> on Yankees Twitter all season because of his fire-hot Didi takes. But uh, So I think it's kind of ironic that the episode we have Kenny on to talk about Didi and uh, everything else going on around baseball, Didi is right now in, I believe, a 5-for-39 slump ever since that road curtain call. So it might be the curse of a road curtain call. Yeah, of course it's right in this, this smack center of this uh, of his little slump here. But you know, there's a guy when you when you're going up as, as hot as he was to start the season. At some point, you're gonna have to cool down, and and that's what's happening right now. We're starting to see him cool down. The you know the power has definitely not been there uh, in this last stretch. But look, we did talk about this, and uh, we went through. I'll, I'll tell you this: I, I didn't. I think a lot of people wanted me to verbally assault Brian uh, Brian <laughs> Kenny about this whole DD thing. That did not happen. What what did happen was I, I got reasons why. I found out why why is this guy here? Why is this guy there? Because to me, that's one of the biggest things. And, and I think a lot of people don't realize is that these uh, these lists that he put together and the shredder put together uh, was was in January. It was before the season, and you know it's an algorithm. It's whatever it is. They don't change it. They put some a bunch of numbers that are uh, proprietary that they don't even say what they are, which to me is a little strange. Uh, and then and then they spit out some numbers, and that's what that's where the uh, the the projections come from. So right. it is what it is, you know what I mean. But but we got into it a lot, and we definitely did talk a lot about Didi and how he has changed his career um, coming to the Yankees, and how rare that is for a guy you know at his age to make such a, a marked improvement when you when switching teams. I'm sure 99% of the listeners will appreciate you having a just rational human conversation with the man who is, <laughs> I think, one of the, the more entertaining baseball media personalities in the game. So, yes, I'm very much looking forward to, to hearing your conversation with him. Also, a uh, quick reminder about May 26th. We are rapidly approaching that date. We're a couple weeks away. That's our Saturday event against the Angels. It's a Saturday night game, 7 p.m., pregame party at the brewery. Get your tickets together. If you've got a big group going, be the organizer. Get your ticket for either half off. If you get five people together, right, and then a full full ticket uh, price on the house if you get 10 people going. Yep, groups of 10 plus, uh, the, the person who organizes it gets their ticket for free, and then five plus, you, we're going to give you a half back for your ticket. So I have a, a list of four or five people um, that I will be getting to probably tomorrow or Friday uh, to refund those tickets, the ones that have done it. So that will be all straightened out this week. And then you're going to start seeing emails. Anybody who's purchased a ticket, you're going to start seeing emails from us uh, either end of this week or this weekend just about what's coming up next. Um, the shirts are coming along and uh, we're going to get them out probably early next week so that everybody will have their tees for game time. It's going to be a lot of fun. This is going to be a, a live crew. There's no doubt about we're approaching. Uh, I know we're well over 150. I got to look at the numbers and see where we are today, um, but we're over 150 uh, and I, I I believe that we're going to have over 200. That's because uh, I know there's a bunch of people waiting in the wings to... Uh, to get these tickets. So I'm pumped up. And the most important thing is it'll be nice out. We will be able to feel our fingers and our toes and our faces. So that'll be nice. I hope you knock some wood right now because <laughs> if it rains, I swear to God, I'm coming after you. <laughs> uh, at least it'll be warm rain. Anyway, moving on. 
the the time when the Yankees were getting blown out by the AAA Marlins and losing heartbreaking games against the Orioles, who are probably the worst team in baseball. Oof, they're brutal. So bad. And they're probably going to F up the Manny Machado situation, too, because they're the freaking Orioles. But those memories are long in the distant past because the Yankees are on an absolute tear, like I said, 17 out of 18. And this stretch that they're on, this 13-game juggernaut stretch, they have absolutely just steamrolled. And their last eight wins, they've won eight games in a row, and they've all come against first-place teams, Houston, Cleveland, and the Red Sox. The Red Sox, as of Wednesday night at 11.16 p.m., are no longer a first-place team, but they were at the start of Wednesday night's game. So just the toughest time of the season, maybe the toughest schedule uh, stretch of the schedule they're going to go through all season, they have showed up. Yeah, and you know it was a, it was a big deal because the way that this team was going, uh, like you mentioned with the with the horrible losses to the Orioles and the Marlins. I mean, you're looking at that and you're saying, well, you know, we got this, we got a, a bunch of real baseball teams coming up. The 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 probably the the guys that are at the top, um, you know, favorites to get into the playoffs and uh, and make it through next to the Yankees. Like these are the guys that we have to play for, and we're playing not very good baseball right now. And what did they do? They looked themselves in the mirrors. They said, let's start playing baseball at a high level. And they turned it on. And that's what happened. Like, you know, it's played to the competition. It happens all the time. Um, and, uh, you know, this turned out to be a humongous stretch. Obviously, this is, uh, this is, this is the make or break, and it's, it's making the season so far. It is. And they're doing it against the top relievers in the game. They're, they've they've killed these closers. Ken Giles knocked himself out after Gary Sanchez <laughs> knocked him out. Check, mark him off the list. Cody Allen sweating bullets. I know you, you uh, probably didn't see much of it, but the Yankees made him throw a billion pitches this weekend. Uh, and you could really tell that that Cleveland bullpen was missing Andrew Miller, who's on the DL. So the Yankees got to Cody Allen twice over the weekend. And then today, Ke- Craig uh, Kimbrell with his stupid freaking arm hang. I and hate that horrible guy. beard. I mean, you what know, a, it's the worst beard I've ever seen. It's dyed red, first of all. <laughs> it doesn't have the mustache to connect. So it's just the Civil War thing going on the side, on the yeah. on the sides and underneath. It's 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 straggly as hell. It's just awful. The guy looks like a freaking mess. You know you're fugly when I get a text message from my mom that says Red Sox closer dot 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 freaky. Yeah, I mean the arm hang thing with the you know straightening out the arms and the back. It's it looks ridiculous. Obviously, all my my wife was sitting there watching the game with me like this guy loves attention, huh? Like yeah, I mean that's the one reason you do that. All you're, Red Sox closers do. Yeah, Applebaum coming in huffing and puffing doing his a stupid dance. In his mouth. Yeah, yeah. He's, they're they're horrible. They're I'm I'm glad you know why because I like hating them so it's fine. Give me oh, somebody yeah. I can hate. I hate I hate Craig, Craig Kimbrell. I hate the way he looks. And what are your, uh, the Yankees destroyed him tonight. What are your thoughts on the atmosphere in these first two games? I know you're not in the stadium, but just watching on TV, what do you think of the crowd? It sounds alive. It sounds like there was a moment tonight that that I that I thought was awesome. I tweeted about it actually. It was uh, uh, there was a, a loud Boston sucks chant. That that kind of took over the stadium for you know like I don't know ten fifteen seconds. It was very loud. At least it was on television. And they had the camera on on uh, Judge. It was right before he made that diving catch, and you could tell he was like listening to it, and then just had this smirk on his face, like I love it because it got it got really loud. Um, and and you can hear you know when there's when there's two strikes, people are standing up, people are getting loud. Uh, I think there's it sounds like there's a really good atmosphere going on. I agree, and I think it's there's a few things. I think the brawl the last time they faced has a lot to do with it. 
the fact that they're the two best teams in baseball has the most to do with it because the bottom line is the 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 uh, rivalry can only be so good if the teams are far apart in the standings. Once the games really matter and every game is do or die because they're going to be seesawing back and forth all year, and this is not going to be the last time the Yankees cross the Red Sox for first place and the Red Sox cross the Yankees for first place, I think it's going to happen a lot this summer. But that's why this, I think the rivalry finally in 2018 is back. Maybe it's not 2003, 2004 back, but it's probably the best that we've had since then. Yeah, uh, we had uh, Keith McPherson was at the game yesterday, and uh, he went live on on Instagram pretty much throughout the entire thing. And one of the things he was talking about before walking up to the stadium is the, just the amount of people that were there for a game in May. You know, it's uh, the buzz is there. The people want to go and watch because every day they're coming back. Like, that's one of the other things. When you have a team that is never done and, and they make these dramatic comebacks in the eighth and ninth inning, uh, that's that's something you want to watch. That's something you want to be there for because it's exciting. You know, they're they're hitting home runs, which people love, and they're making comebacks. I mean, those are two very big things that draw people to a ballpark. And the tension is there with every pitch. These yeah. games, both of these games were long. A ton of base runners. The pitchers were were laboring, especially tonight with Porcello and Tanaka. But you could just feel the tension in every single pitch. It It felt like everything was was a huge pitch and that's that is what classic Yankees Red Sox uh ball games are. There's no doubt. There was even a uh there was even a who's your daddy chant for uh, for Kimbrel. It was it was beautiful. I loved it. It actually meant something again, you know, and I loved it. I've seen a lot of Yankee fans over the last 48 hours giving Pedro love on Twitter because he keeps praising Severino and it's... Severino has turned into maybe a top 3 starting pitcher in baseball. It's so funny because I was watching that segment at the time. I was watching MLB Network uh, when they were when they were doing that segment. It was him and Girardi they were talking. So I flipped over after the game and was watching them. And first of all, the dynamic between the two is strange because there couldn't be more different. <laughs> um, and Pedro, I, first of all, I think Pedro is like is not a smart person. I, I don't know what he says. The stupidest shit sometimes, like really, really dumb things. I'm not talking about baseball. I'm just talking about in general. Just not. It doesn't seem like the brightest, uh, brightest guy. But the the things that he was saying, like he was he was going back and forth asking Girardi about how or why they would step out of the box. Like he was getting, uh, he was bringing up old old things from uh, when they played against each other and, and, and different things. It was, it was it gets it's strange. I think Pedro is a weird dude. Was Girardi um, even on the? I guess he was towards the end, like towards 90, the end, but he wasn't even there. But. But he wasn't yeah. there when, when Pedro was talking about it because uh, Pedro was specifically talking about uh, when Gary Sheffield would step out of the box. Yeah, and Girardi was there. not on that team. And he even <laughs> said that. He's like, I wasn't on that team. <laughs> okay. You know, Pedro is, I don't know where he is. I think he's he's still, you know, in La La Land with his little midget on his shoulder. I, I don't know I don't know where this where this dude is. Um, I, I don't think he's very good. Uh, he says a couple things in base, <clears throat> about baseball that, that make good sense, but... Uh, for the most part. Yeah, he, he praised Severino. I'm happy that he did that. I, I can't stand Pedro Martinez, so I will never give him credit. Uh, here, Pedro, let me let you in on a little secret. Guys step out of the box to get into your head. And right. clearly it works if you're talking about it 14 years later. Exactly, exactly. It was... <laughs> It was a weird moment when he was talking about that. He's like, oh, yeah, I wanted to, be, I wanted to hit him. He was talking yeah. about hitting Bernie Williams. Like, I, he wanted to hit Bernie Williams because Bernie Williams, he said, was stepping out of the box intentionally on him. Yeah. Okay. Shut well, up, everyone. Pedro. Shut everyone up, Pedro. knows. Everyone knows what the scumbag Pedro was on the mound. He had no, no qualms about just headhunting after people, and obviously, 
pointing to his head, yelling at Posada, hitting um, Soriano and yep. Jeter, and then sending them both to the hospital on the first first two batters of the game. Whatever. We don't need to rehash that. <laughs> what I do want to talk about is Brett Gardner. I was very happy for Brett Gardner's game yeah. on Wednesday. Two doubles, got robbed of a, no, a third double by Moreland, and then the go-ahead triple in the eighth inning uh, to the left center field gap um, against Kimbrell. Just the night before was probably the low point, I think, for Gardner in his season. He was 0 for 3 with two strikeouts. He had one walk, but he made a terrible play in left field that turned into a triple for Mookie Betts. Everyone on Twitter was killing him. A lot of people were saying, when are we going to get him not only out of the leadoff spot, when when is Boone going to bench him, when is Clint Frazier going to come up? I was not ready to give up on Gardner. I don't think you were ready to give up on Gardner, but I, I was very, very happy for his night tonight. Yeah, no doubt. I mean... You know, he, his struggles intensified, I think, even uh, as of late besides uh, tonight's game. Uh, but before, you know, before I think his, his recent bad stretch, he's been getting on base as well. You know, so we, we talked about how his on-base percentage in the leadoff spot is still, um, you know, a, a, at a good spot. And when you have a guy that's getting on base, who, who cares how, how he gets on base? Yeah, his batting average is low, but it doesn't really matter at that point when you are setting up, when you're the table setter for the the monsters in front of you. You got to get on base as much as as you know, however you can, and you have to work the count so that you're you're getting deep. And that's something that Brett Gardner has continued to do. So look, he's a professional guy. We know he's a streaky guy. I mean, he's the freaking John Starks of left field. This guy, this guy will go out there and and put up a you know an 0 for 20 and then get red hot and then put up another 0 for 20. It's just what he does. It's, he's done that for a long time. Yeah, and coming into tonight he was batting 198 with a 320 on base percentage. 320 is still pretty respectable especially if you're batting under the Mendoza line. So imagine if his batting average creeps back up to what his career average is, which is in the 260s, 270s, then we're talking about some serious leadoff hitter um stats there with the the on-base percentage in the high 300s so that's why I'm not ready if Gardner was going up there and looking horrible and and swinging at everything and grounding out on the first pitch then I'd say yeah fine you got to do something that's not what we were seeing and and I'm just I'm happy that he at least for Wednesday night shut some fans up I'm sure if he goes 0 for 4 on Thursday night some fans will be chirping him again yeah the thing with him is that you know, there's there's room. There's room for him to struggle right now. There's 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 time for him to get back into his groove, um, and, and because this lineup is so good, and now with Glaber Torres at the bottom, you know, who's doing what he's doing, you know, raking like he is, just putting those putting together those at bats. There's there's room for him to 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 get through this this hard time because he is an integral part of this team. People are always looking to for the next best thing. One, Clint Frazier is is you know still coming back from. Um, his head injury you know is he he's rehabbing he's been rehabbing for a little while now and he'll probably be ready relatively soon so yeah that that's going to happen at some point there's going to be some discussion of that when he's ready but right now Brett Gardner is the the clubhouse leader your leadoff guy um, and uh, nine nine days out of ten days is a, a, a damn good left fielder and then Judge follows it up with the missile two-run homer that looked like it could have taken Kimbrell's head off. That's how low he hit it. Between that and the one that Stanton hit on on Tuesday that yeah. Devers could have jumped for and almost caught, right. I mean, two of the most freakish home runs I can ever remember. I mean, Stanton's especially. It was a neck-high fastball. Yeah, he that chopped he ch- it. Chopped down, and I loved O'Neal mocking him uh, after he saw um, – 
who was it? I forget who was in the dugout. It was CC and Judge sort of yeah. making fun of the way he was chopping at the ball in the dugout, and O'Neill just could not help himself but cracking up, being like, <laughs> he's up there chopping wood, hitting lasers around the ballpark. I mean, Stan kind of... He, it's ugly up there. It's kind of been ugly up there. His stance has gotten wider and more closed off. It looks like he's taken a massive dump at the plate in his stance. <laughs> but the numbers have turned around in the last two games. He's been, a, he's been a wrecking crew on the Red Sox because he hit the two homers on Tuesday and he had a huge double tonight. It's, it's ridiculous. Uh, and and I'm, I'm looking up right now just to uh, some, some pictures of what he looked like last year because I, from what I remember, he had a really closed-off stance towards the end of last year as well with the Marlins, and it seems like he's gone back to that exaggerated stance even more so. But yeah, I mean, I was talking about this with somebody. I don't even remember who the hell I was saying this to, but it legitimately, like, that's that's exact, that's how I stand when I'm trying to pick on the girl in right field when I'm playing co-ed softball. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like, I'm trying to, I'm like, telep- um, this is where I'm going. I'm going to right field. I just close my stance off, and I'm trying to hit it at the girl who has no idea how to play or even knows what a glove is. So I mean, it, it looks utterly ridiculous uh, when you're doing it, but the, the fact that he... Um, can open up because he does open up his trigger actually opens his stance up a little bit more than the setup Uh, and then get his hands around to not just that home run where he took it from the freaking neck and I mean the 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 quickness in your hands to do that is stupid Um, but but to consistently make contact with that stance it just looks really difficult is it uh, worrisome at all to you that he's kind of tinkering with his stance? Because if you look at, we have a picture in the notes here, and it's three different dates uh, and three different uh, images of his stance. April 10th is uh, the first one. He's, he's definitely closed off, but he's much more square to the pitcher. April 26th, it's slightly more exaggerated closed. And then from May 8th, which was Tuesday night, I mean, he is wide. It is closed. You can see both numbers on the back, two and seven. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's it's much because I, I think it's, um, you know, it's still that closed off. I think it's still a similar stance. He's just making it more of a dramatic. <laughs> he, he's just, you know, he's he's emphasizing it more. And I, I am looking at some some of the pictures from uh, from from last year when he was in the Marlins. And he's super closed. I mean, he's he's closed off. And when he got in that hot streak, um, it, it looks like uh, if these if these dates are correct. He's right there, man. Like his the the front foot's almost at the top right corner of the box, and the back foot is like off the cor- off the back of the box. It's crazy. It really is crazy. It uh, back. I, I think back to our conversations we were having over the winter about him and Judge, and the more you watch them every day, the more you realize, yeah, they may be similar in body type, but that is where the similarities end. That and they hit lasers. Those are the only two similarities because Judge is like the even-keeled guy. He goes up there whether he's 10 for 10 or 0 for 10 with the exact same stance, the exact same approach, patient approach up there. And then Stanton is up there tinkering with his stance, kind of, kind of, you know, fidgety, jittery, who knows, whatever it is. But they're very different guys. They're different guys, uh, but at the same time, we saw what happened last year with with Judge. Though, I mean, we, even when he went through his struggles, you started seeing uh, him opening up his stance and then closing it off. I mean, not to the to what we're seeing here because it just looks so different. But you know, his was more of a subtle movement because we our eyes are used to seeing that. Like we're, our eyes are not look, used to seeing a guy close their close themselves off in the batter's box like that, especially a guy who hit almost sixty home runs last year. So. Uh, I think he's just trying to get back into that into that groove. It seems like he's finding his happy spot. So that's a very good thing for us. But yeah, they're different. 
their swings are extremely different. Extremely different. He's going to his happy place. Uh, my happy place would be the top five in the order, Gardner, Judge, Didi, Stanton, and Sanchez, all hitting at the same time, which we have not seen this year, which if you are any other opposing pitcher, you better be running in the corner and hiding and crying right now because if that ever happens, you are totally screwed. Yeah, and we're still seeing, I mean, Gary Sanchez has productive numbers. I think he's, what, got nine, uh, nine home runs and 28 RBIs right, right around there. But but he's hitting under the Mendoza line as well. He he's he's not uh, hitting for average right now. He's he's struggling with that. We're we're starting to see um, we, we've seen the power come and we've seen him in big situations get big hits. But he's definitely not clicking on all cylinders. I mean, these guys are all racking up numbers because there are so many productive players in this lineup. I mean, the entire team is putting up numbers. So we're gonna see some gaudy gaudy numbers this year. Sure. Then the only the only number that really matters is runs scored. How right. many runs are, how many runs as a team are you scoring? And the Yankees lead in that. And as long as they lead in that, I don't really give a shit what someone's batting average is or how many RBIs somebody has or whatever it may be. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's up and down though. We're going to see they're going to be uh, some some big numbers up and down this lineup. Tuesday's win um I thought was messy and yep. they were a little bit lucky to get out of there with that 3-2 win. Severino was was really stepped up huge because his defense let him down. Glaber makes his first error of his career in the first inning, and Severino is forced to throw maybe five or six more pitches in the first inning. And then when Sanchez had that pass ball, I believe it was in the fifth inning, that should have been a strikeout of Nunez to lead off the inning. Instead, Nunez reaches, and that ended up being a really long and tough inning for Severino, probably through an extra 12 to 15 pitches. So when you add it up, it's probably close to 15 to 20 extra pitches that Severino had to throw. And then you look where he ended up in the game at 109 pitches. He entered the seventh inning at 99 pitches. He was pulled in that inning because he was up at 109. It's a huge difference if those two errors don't happen, not only on the scoreboard, but on Severino's pitch count and where he is in that, that point in the game. So I thought, I thought it was a, a huge impact on the game. And the especially the pass ball, like it's driving it was, me, it's starting to drive me nuts. Again. It was rookie, it was rookie shit, man. I mean, Sanchez, get over there and block the ball. It was not that bad of a pitch. The guy swung at it for Christ's sakes. Like it couldn't have been that far out of the zone. He swung at it. Well, and, and that's one of the reasons. And this, honestly, we haven't heard really any reasons for why Sonny Gray doesn't want to throw to 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 um, Gary Sanchez. But I I can almost. I would put a lot of money on the fact that Sonny Gray does not have confidence throwing his breaking ball in the dirt to uh, to Gary Sanchez and him blocking the ball, and that's a big part of his game. A big part of his game is getting that breaking ball down in the in the zone. Um, no, it's an easy. It's not an easy play, but it's a play a professional catcher absolutely should make. You don't have to block it. You don't have to come up with that ball cleanly. What you do have to do is you have to slide your ass over, get down, and block it and square it up so that you can. Come out, take two steps, pick up the ball, and throw the goddamn guy out. It's a it's a basic play for a, a guy at this level. I mean, there's no doubt about it. We're just starting to see some of these, like, you know, again, it's the same, a similar thing to what we saw last year, where where he's not getting down on the ball. The ball is scooting under his glove, under his legs. It's like he's just not getting in. His footwork is not there, and he's not getting into uh, the position that he needs to be to be an effective blocking catcher. And when you throw as many breaking balls as this Yankees team does, that's going to continue to be a problem. It really is. Yeah, we we I know we harped on it all last summer, 
And it's we're not saying Gary Sanchez is a bad catcher or even that we don't want Gary Sanchez catching. It's just he needs to get he needs to improve at it. I thought he improved at it the first couple of weeks of the season, but he regressed. He has certainly regressed. The numbers show he regressed and the eye test shows he's regressed. And the Yankees are lucky it didn't lose him the game on Tuesday, and they're lucky it didn't lose him the game on Sunday when he gave up that one late in the game with Holder on the mound. Yeah, it's look, this is this is just becoming one of those things where you know, we were expecting a, uh, I, I mean, I guess I was expecting, maybe my expectations were too high in, in, in the uh, type of improvement that I wanted to see. And and uh, there was a bit of a mirage early in the season. But this, the thing is, 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 it's still early in the season, so I'm not going to completely crush him yet. But um, what, it's, what it is looking like is that it hasn't changed too much. I'm still seeing the the lack of fundamentals. That's the problem. When you're not getting down on these pitches, on these on these breaking balls, you're not in position. Uh, it's not like you're not making the play, but you're not even in position to make the play. That's a big problem. That is a big problem for you to be a catcher uh, when you're late in a game, runner on third, guy needs to bury a ball, and and who's is he going to have the confidence to do that? So defense was the number one reason why that game was messy on Tuesday. Number two reason was the third base coach, Phil Nevin. This is the first time we're bitching about the third base coach. But what the hell was he doing sending Glaber Torres on that ball, hit by Judge, directly at a charging Benintendi with the bases loaded and only one out and your number three hitter and number four hitter coming up. There was absolutely no reason in hell to send him. Glaber was out by 20 feet. I don't, a, Jacoby Ellsbury, I don't care if Jacoby I don't care if Jacoby Ellsbury with his noodle arm and his gout and his and his sig. What does he have? Strep throat now or something that he had to go home. I mean, he's got a new injury every freaking day. I don't care if it was Ellsbury out there. You do not send him in that situation. Plantar fasciitis, <laughs> whatever. Turf toe. Uh, <laughs> the gout. That's hilarious. The the um the this is uh it was a bad it was a bad send. It was a terrible send. You know I I don't know. I'm sure Phil Nevin would agree and say the same thing. Um, but yeah, bad sand shouldn't have done it. Glaber was out by a long shot. Uh, I was yelling today too. And Glaber slid, uh, it was close, but it was, uh, obviously a good sand because he was safe. Also, but he also used his left arm. Yeah. His left arm with, uh, with, with the Tommy John from last year, it was a similar slide. So you want to pray to God that that, that arm doesn't get tangled up again. But I mean, obviously, it's a cop-out answer to say that you did. We disagree with the one. I know when, I'm joking. On that. I, I know. It was an aggressive send, and I'm all for being aggressive, but you still have to be smart. And tonight on Wednesday was a smart, aggressive send. Tuesday was a dumb, aggressive send. It was, it, it was a suicide mission. It was, <laughs> it was a kamikaze pilot. You had no chance unless the catcher dropped the ball. It was not a hard throw. So lucky it didn't come back to bite him. And then the Stanton thing in the eighth inning, not, not sliding on the ground ball to first base when it's not a force out. It's a tag play. You do not go in standing up because it is easier to tag somebody, especially when you're six foot six and nine thousand pounds coming down like a steam train. You slide. Maybe he drops the ball because you kick his leg out or something like that. Like the the thing now when you're when you're going into into a home plate, it's such a different scenario than it was before where you can run over somebody. So the the catcher's always gonna take the tag on the inside of the base path. So they're going to have to reach across the base path to get to you to tag you. So you have an advantage as a runner if it's a close play because you can slide to the outside of the plate and, and use your hand to tag, uh, to tag the plate. And if you're just running down the baseline, well, not only was the throw high in this particular, uh, so he was able to get to him, um, 
but again, it's an easier, it's a, it's a shorter tag. If you're sliding to the outside of the bag, similar to what Glaber did tonight, it was a great, it was a great head first slide if there's such a thing. Um, but it was a, you know, outside of the bag and that's the only plate really, or the, the only bag that you can go in, uh, to the side. I mean, second base, you have to go directly in. Now there are all these rules about going directly in. Well, home plate, you can still go around it and tag it. So there's an advantage to the runner coming down the line. Yeah. I was talking to somebody on this, on Twitter about this. And he, he said it was, I think it was on the, the Glaber play where he was called out like, Oh, um, Vasquez was blocking the plate. And I'm like, have you ever seen an umpire in the last three, four years since that rule was instituted actually call that, as the rule, like, oh, catcher blocking, he's actually safe. Because I don't, I cannot remember or I have not seen one incidence where that has happened. I feel like I've seen it. I can't pinpoint it. But um, it's, you know, if, if they don't have a, 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 you know, an actual clear path to home plate. But, yeah. I think it's, it's got to be pretty often. egregious, though, for an ump to ever actually call it. Yeah, and I don't think it's a challengeable play-ish. I have no idea if it's challengeable or not. Who do, it seems like uh, everything that, that should be isn't. So right. I don't know how you do that. A, to me, it would be a judgment call if he is or not, right, at that point. But, um, no, they don't call very often. Like a lot of these rules, they don't call very often. They're, they kind of let baseball still play, play on. Um, and in uh, the pace of play, the games are still long. One other interesting note from that game, Severino threw 22% change-ups when his season average entering the game was only 13%. So he certainly had a slightly different game plan against the Red Sox, who he struggled against last time. Yeah, and that's a big deal, I think, when you're throwing that change up that many times. That's a that's a significant uptick. I mean, and you know, if you look year by year with Severino on that change up, one, it didn't exist in the beginning, and then he developed it and he would throw it maybe one or two times in a game. And now you're starting to see him more comfortable. I mean, if he if he gets more and more comfortable with that with that pitch, um, he's just gonna become that much more dominant. Honestly. Oh. I, I think if he's that much more comfortable throwing a change up for a strike, um, or even just throwing it down in the zone not for a strike he's going to be unhittable. Oh, yeah, completely. Good night hitters because he's already got two elite pitches. If you add another one, forget about it. Yeah. Um, Tanaka tonight I thought had nothing. I thought that despite the fact that he had nothing, I liked that he got through five and a third innings with the lead intact. It was ugly. There was a ton of base runners. He seemed to be pitching, uh, trying to avoid contact in a lot of instances. He gave up two homers, which is nothing new for him. But both pitchers were very mediocre tonight. Yeah, I just don't want to see more depth at this point with Tanaka. I mean, he's he's your your uh, number two guy, and he's only getting through five and a third. I mean, that's that's just not that's just not how it's not sustainable. It's really. But if not. you looked up in the third inning, he had sixty seven pitches through the first three innings. So he, he and and, least... and throughout the first innings, the first inning was good. Well, it was yes, it was a one, two, three first inning, but he still threw like twenty pitches because Mookie Betts had like an eleven pitch first at bat. Right, because, because Gary, Gary because Sanchez, Sanchez could squeeze ball. a ball. <laughs> because Gary Sanchez dropped the ball. Um, yeah, no, I mean the thing is uh, with Tanaka when he's when he's not good and he's and he's throwing a, a ton of pitches like that, it gets me very worried. It gets me very worried that every, any at any point there's going to be another hanger um, and, and and someone's going to take the ball and throw it over the ballpark or over the uh, fence. Like he gave up eight hits in five and a third, uh, four runs. It's still two walks. He to me that was not a good performance. And yeah, maybe he got through. I, I I just can't sit here and say and give credit to a guy like Tanaka at this point in his career as our number two pitcher, who should be the number one ace guy. That's that's who he's been for his entire career. 
uh, coming out here and, and throwing up those numbers. Like even when Severino now doesn't have his stuff, we're seeing him get into the the sixth and seventh. You inning. can't compare him. I can't. This I, is this is interesting. I love this. This is role reversal. I know because it's because I'm the guy who do, because see now my your expectations, expectations are gone. They're, sh- they're so much window. lower for Tanaka. He's a junk baller now. So fine, a junk baller gets you into the sixth inning when he's got nothing in the tank. You take it. He's not an ace. Tanaka's not an ace. I never thought Tanaka was an ace. The, he is who I thought he was. No, a number he, he two. was a he was a number one guy. The the word ace was was tossed around, but the the fact is is that this guy is still a top tier pitcher that needs he's better than five and a third inning even on a day like that he should be getting deeper he is better than that but against this lineup against the Red Sox who maybe have the second best lineup in baseball you see like it's if you don't have he did not have his a game tonight if Tanaka doesn't have his a game sorry it's it's gonna be one of these ugly games Unlike Severino, you just said it. Severino didn't have his A game either. Or maybe Severino did, but his defense didn't let him down, and right. he was still able to battle through. That's what. That's the difference. I mean, it's you're comparing apples and oranges at this point when you're comparing Severino and Tanaka. But at the same time, I'm comparing mentalities because that's, to me, what a lot of this is. You know, Tanaka is... He, the body language tells you so much. After the home runs, you're starting... You see Tanaka do the stupid arm movements. Like, he's like, oh, you know, I didn't... I didn't... I didn't uh, I didn't turn it enough. Like he's like making excuses for himself on the well, mound. The one like, to Moreland, the one to Moreland was supposed to be on the outside corner, and, and it, it leaked back into yeah. middle middle. It was a horrible pitch. Yeah, and he did that a number of times. There were there was a couple of times where he could have had a strikeout uh, when 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 Sanchez was uh, was lined up on one side of the plate and the ball tailed all the way across to the other side, and he, Gary had to go all the way across, and it didn't look like a strike. You can't blame an umpire at that point when you're moving that much with the glove. It's because the ball is not going where it's supposed to go. He's he's missing spot. He's not. He's he, all season. He he still hasn't been that that guy who can hit a uh, a glove. If you're a junk baller, you better damn well hit your spots. Because if you're not hitting your spots and you're leaving all these balls up, and he got away with a, a number of them today, like I think that line that he had was actually better than he pitched because he did not pitch well. Um, I, I, I'm just sick of seeing every other start Tanaka coming out and just throwing up a five inning start. It's it's getting old. Well, the last couple outings he didn't, and the one uh, against Houston, he got into the seventh inning, and it was a ton of soft. It was a soft rally against him on that Thursday game in Houston. He pitched much better than his line ended up looking like like in Houston. Yeah. Well, today he pitched worse than his line was, and it wasn't a good line. Yeah. I know you were gone over the weekend, but um, I just want to fill you in now. Neil Walker, we like him now. And, and yeah, he's good. He's good. He is the rally starter. Yep. Because, this. because he had the big game tying hit over the weekend off Cody Allen. And then he has the pinch hit double on Tuesday to get the rally going. And then he has the eighth inning double on Wednesday night to get the rally going. So Neil Walker, good luck charm. Maybe I should go down to uh, New Orleans for more four day benders and uh, Neil Walker's. Maybe I should have done that when Chris Carter was around. Who knows? I could have saved his career. But this is what we we said. We did about expect this, yeah, because We're, Walker is a good hitter, and he's been a good hitter and a good player for a long time. Over his last twenty-two plate appearances, he's been on base twelve times, six hits, six hits, six walks, and three doubles. So. It's we're seeing a little bit of a market correction for Walker, and yeah. maybe we're also seeing a market correction for Tyler Austin, who since his suspension, since he got back from his suspension, he's 0 for 11 with one walk and five strikeouts. So it kind of came at the worst possible time for Tyler Austin, where the suspension cooled him down, and then he had the hip, the hip jam. He jammed his hip in Houston because we know we know he's a little bit fragile, and 
Walker's hitting now, so it really does seem like Austin's going to be the odd man out. It does seem like that, especially when Drury comes back. Uh, there's going to be a roster spot that is going to be looking around uh, and seeing who the, who's going to send down. Tyler Austin's probably going to be that guy, especially if Neil Walker. Look, Neil Walker. This is a ver- first of all. This is good news that Neil Walker's hitting. That's that's huge. Good. That's very good news because he is a uh, a guy that has hit his entire career. Tyler Austin. We've seen him in spurts, and that's what we've seen. And I, I think we're also seeing what Tyler Austin's defense is, too, because he had a play on Tuesday night um, that uh, it was a, a ball that, that should have been caught. Um, scooped. That, uh, he could have scooped it. Was it. A, it was a scoop, yeah. It's a relatively – you see guys on the Yankees have been doing that for years. Tashera gets it every day. Bird gets it. Um, it it's, a, it's a ball that needs to be scooped. You know up. who probably scoops that? Jason Giambi. Giambi had sneaky good hands at first base. He couldn't throw for shit. Yeah. He would field the ball, try to throw it to second base. It would be a shot put into left field. But he could scoop the ball. He could, especially the ones that were uh, with his uh, forearm open. I mean, he used to sell those, too. He'd make him look good. <laughs> the, uh, but, but I think we're going to see, um, hopefully, if, if, if uh, everything is continuing to go well with Bird, we're going to see an upgrade at first base as far as defensively, too. And Neil Walker, I think, has played pretty well over there. Um, but yeah, Austin, the suspension came at a bad time for him because he was playing really well at that point, coming off the, uh, you know, the, the high of being the guy in the, that started the Red Sox Yankees brawl. And he was, he was kind of playing off of that. So, um, it was an unfortunate time suspension for him personally, because, uh, he's just obviously not doing well and, and he's got tight hips. That's, <laughs> that's it. He's got tight hips. Uh, Today, Boone said that Bird could be back with the big league club in 10 to 20 days. Yeah. You, um, you taking the high or the low on that? Um, uh, if this team is playing like this, they're gonna, I'll take the, the high. I'll take the 20 days because they're going to – I still think they're going to let him work his way back, make sure he's 100% healthy. This is kind of the, what we thought. Uh, you know, he's going to have a more extended time you know, in, in uh, what he's, he's starting in Tampa, I think, right? And then he's gonna, he'll slowly make his way up. So he's going to stay in the warm weather for now, and they're going to make sure – they're going to make damn sure that he's healthy. You know what's 16 days away, smack dab in the middle of that 10 to 20 range? What is it? May 26, baby. Oh, that's right. Here we go. Maybe we could see bird returns. That would be nice. We are sitting in the bird's nest. Remember, we're going to get a whole bunch of hay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then we realized that bird gets injured way too much to give his own section, give him his own section at, at Yankee Stadium. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he, we're going to see, we're going to see an extended period of time before we move hay into the, uh, into 205. It could just be the bird's nest, but with a just a permanent doctor's office set up in one of the rows. Mm, brutal. Uh, upcoming one more against the Red Sox because David Price, the Yankees just absolutely broke David Price this year. Carpal tunnel syndrome, too much Fortnite. Yeah, so I saw that. I saw ESPN run that headline that he he potentially um, some video game issues. Um, I think maybe he was spending too much time alone. If you get my drift, I do. I get your drift. Uh, hopefully, he wasn't playing video games when he was doing that with Tommy Canely because he's coming back too. That's another guy who's been uh, on the mend. Uh, and hopefully we have him back because that's a, that's a big addition to the, the bullpen. We're starting to see, I think, a lot of these guys starting to get worked quite a bit, especially when you have Tanaka going into uh, you know five, five and a third, and we're starting to see that more often. Sonny Gray is another guy who is pitching you know, into the sixth inning maybe sometimes. So this is a, this is a bullpen that's getting taxed. Canely is a, a guy that they could use back. David Price, man. I don't know. It seems like he's like, oh, we're, we're going to New York. We're going to play the Yankees. Oh, my fingers hurt. Oh, my arm. Uh, oh, oh, my arm. Oh, my foot. Something's wrong. Uh, I don't know what it up, is yet, but it hurts. 
He so he called up Jacoby Ellsbury and he's like, "What what do you got for me, buddy? Yeah, yeah. Give, give me something. I know you got a laundry list of excuses. Give me one of them." Yeah, it's bad. I mean, every time, uh, every time. I mean, good for him because the the Yankees uh, destroy him, so he's avoiding pain. The Yankees, when they faced him at Fenway Park last time, they I know he left in the after the first inning because of an, an injury or whatever at that point. But to that point in the season, he had not given up an earned run in two starts. Since then, twenty three innings pitched, twenty one earned runs. Hey, this brutally bad. This lineup is demoralizing for pitchers. Demoralizing. You look over there, you're like, Breaks where? When? How am I supposed to do this for <laughs> five to seven innings? How? Yeah. I can't. I can't yeah. do it. Yep. And, I love uh, it. It's, I could not ask for a better guy on the mound than Sabathia, who has had really good numbers this season, really good numbers against the Red Sox over the last few years, going for the sweep. Couple guys, key, you know, uh, Mookie Betts is does hit um, CC, but he hits everybody. He's three thirty three thirty three batting average, seven for twenty one. CC has owned Hanley Ramirez, who owns the Yankees. He's held him to a two for twenty two stretch. So, pretty pretty good pitching matchup, uh, or pretty good guy on the mound for the Yankees tomorrow night against Eduardo Rodriguez, who has a five twenty nine ERA. Yeah, I mean that's a guy who definitely hasn't hit his stride yet. Uh, this is a this is a big opportunity for the Yankees to go out there and sweep the Boston Red Sox. And not only does that that give us, you know, three games, uh, three games that we win against the Red Sox, but it's such a, a good psychological um, advantage at that point. Saying when they come over, we 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 destroyed your closer, we took one of your pitchers, and we scared him to the DL. Um, you know, we we won a game that was ugly and we played horrible. We still won it. So we can go out, if the if the Yankees could go out there on, on Thursday with CC and win that game, I think it's a it's a huge huge deal. Then Oakland comes to town. Friday Friday's game is very interesting for a couple reasons. Yeah. Sonny Gray is going up against his old team. He's never faced Oakland before, and Trevor Cahill is going for the Athletics. And I was actually looking at Cahill's numbers. He's had a pretty good season to to date: two twenty five ERA in twenty four innings. And he's a free agent after this year, so I could certainly see the Oakland A's looking to trade him at some point because they're not they. I mean, the Oakland A's are going to finish near the bottom of the AL West. Yeah, Billy being such a great GM, another another <laughs> bottom, another bottom. Well, that's that's what the game the is. That's what that's what all of baseball is, though. Right now, is you got your powerhouses in your divisions, and you got bottom feeders. Right. Yeah. It's just I'm just waiting for Oakland to be one of the the top teams ever again. Um, the well, maybe the, the prospects that they got. Uh, from the Yankees in that Sonny Gray deal, one of which Dustin Fowler, who we are certainly interested in what he does with his career, finally got called up and finally got his at bat. Yeah, good for him. Good for him. Uh, that's that's one thing I'll be definitely looking forward to is seeing Dustin Fowler in the outfield. Uh, you know, it's gonna be for another team, but he's uh, playing pro ball again, and that's that's awesome. Uh, it's a it's a great story after after that horrible horrible injury. I can't even think about it. It's giving me the chills. But it'll be really interesting to see how Sonny Gray pitches on Friday night. That is is uh, is a big start for him because that would be if he is able to go out there against his former team, which you know he's motivated to do at this point, right? He's that will be three in a row of, of mm-hmm. better starts for for Sonny Gray, and you know we're we're looking for sustained success, sustained improvements, and uh, I think that's this is a perfect opponent for him to come out there and have the best start of his of the of the season. I think. And uh, final thing before we move on to the Brian Kenny segment, Yankees and Red Sox are playing in London. A lot of people pumped up for this, June 29th and 30th of 2019. So I guess we got to book our London trip now. 
yeah, we got to start planning something for sure. I know we have a lot of guys that listen to this show over in the UK, um, and a, a bunch of these guys have have come to our events before. It's awesome. We're gonna be. Uh, we're, we'll de- we'll definitely go. There's there's no doubt about it. Oh, we're, you're we're, saying we're, we're definitely going. We're 100 okay. going to this game. <laughs> we're locked in. Okay. Yeah, locked and in. for everyone complaining like, oh, it's gonna be jet lag and it's a long trip for just two days and blah 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 it takes away home games from there. Shut up. Shut up. This is gonna be fun. Just shut up and enjoy it. It's gonna be fun. It's just it's another be something for different to complain about. Yeah, because people complain when things are different. It, it is what it is. It's going to be fun. It's going to bring Yankees, Red Sox to another continent. That's pretty cool. And it's Red Sox home games. Perfect. Even better. (laughs) Uh, All right. That's it for us. Hopefully the Yankees have swept uh, the Red Sox and then taken care of the Oakland A's next time we talk to you. Stay tuned for the Brian Kenny segment. Scott, any last words? No, just continue this on. This is uh, Yankees are playing ridiculous ball. Let's continue. Big game. All right, guys. I'm happy to introduce our next guest, Mr. Brian Kenny. You can actually find him on Twitter at Mr. Brian Kenny. He's a host of MLB Now. You can actually watch him host MLB Now weekdays at 4 p.m. Plus, MLB Network is airing live games all weekend, including to- tomorrow's Red Sox-Blue Jays game at 7 p.m. Brian, thanks for coming on. Yeah, it's my pleasure. So obviously, Brian, we have to get this going first. The the glaring thing that's on every, every Yankees fan's mind uh, when, they, when they hear your name is the Shredder and the fact that Didi Gregorius was not in the top 10 uh, on that list that was, I believe, put out in, in January of, uh, of this year. So the, the first thing we wanted to do is talk about that because obviously we, we've seen what Didi has done this year. Didi has had a tremendous start of the season and has been one of the integral parts for the Yankees' success. So what's the, uh, what, what's the defense for having D, not having Didi on the shredder list? Well, um, the shre- again, here's the thing. The shredder is not reacting to anything. The shredder gets input, it gets the stats, and it churns out a list. Now, there are ways to beat the shredder, right? There's a, there's a, a way that a guy like, say, Yasiel Puig, Hanley Ramirez, um, certain players like that, uh, like Tommy Pham even, uh, was number two, I believe, on the left field list uh, for the shredder, which seemed a little high. Now, Pham is having a great season, but the shredder only gets the input. They only gets the numbers that are put out. And if you have a smaller sample size, uh, you can jump up above guys who have more of a track record. Now, it was strange, believe me, that, you know, I, I often put out that the Shredder's greatest strength is its greatest weakness. And its greatest strength is it doesn't know who the player is. It sure. doesn't care. And the other strength is that we don't adjust it. The research team has come up with uh, a formula that ranks the players. And we have, you know, many times through the last, like, seven or eight years of doing it, gotten a top ten that we don't like, mm-hmm. right? You know, you get a top ten, you go, what's this guy do? You probably do it when you do your own baseball research. You go, what's this guy doing here? No, I don't like that. And you adjust it. You go, yeah, that guy, he may have made it, but... We're going to move him out because, well, we don't do that. We've made a decision, and I made it with, with the researchers saying, hey, you know what, fellas? We're not going to adjust anything because frequently you will get a result, and this is part of, you know, it's the greatest weakness, but it's the greatest strength. Justin Turner, for like two years in a row, like three, four years ago, was making the top ten and maybe like number five among third basemen. Now, that doesn't seem silly now, does it? 
No, I mean it makes when you when you start seeing what he's done, then yeah, it's like right. the shredder was seeing into the future, maybe. The, the, the shredder was just seeing what he was doing, and right. we were underrating him. The shredder isn't like you know, shredder makes an adjustment for age and and war moving forward, but the the shredder, the formula that we have. Um, isn't doing some magic projection system. It's really just evaluating what the player has done and what that player is likely to do given his age the next year. That's all it is. And it, so it's just kind of a logic, um, you know, it's a, it's a truth serum. It says, this is what it is. I know you don't think much of this player, but he's actually quite good. So for a few years, like a few years ago, Carlos Beltran was a controversial pick. What is he doing in the top 10? He's washed up. Blah, blah, blah. That was five years ago. No, he wasn't. It was, hey, Justin Turner, the redheaded guy. What? Are you kidding me? He stinks. No, he doesn't. He's actually one of the top six third baseman in the game. So, yeah, D.D. Gregorius finished 11th in the Shredders list, and Tim Beckham finished ahead of him. So did Paul DeYoung of the Cardinals. Now, how did Tim Beckham finish ahead of him? I have no idea. I don't know. Then it's wrong. I didn't like it at the time. Our researchers didn't like it, but we don't adjust it. We leave it, and we live with it, and that's it. And Paul DeYoung, you can make a case Paul DeYoung was going to be better than D.D. Gregorius easily. I didn't do it. Like, I have my own list, and I have to see more before I, I will, you know, vault a guy, you know, over a more established guy. But you could easily take a look just like at Corey Seager or, you know, even uh, say Reese Hoskins. I did the same thing in left field. I put Reese Hoskins up high on my list saying I've seen enough, even though I haven't seen much, but I've seen his minor league track record. I see a short sample size of the majors. I think he's going to be a star. And it turns out I was right. Uh, now, D.D. Gregorius had a pretty good track record, and I'm sorry. Like, uh, the, you know, the shredder is, was wrong with Tim Beckham, but everybody else you could justify. And I had my own top ten, and I would justify it to anybody. That's what I say now. The one mistake that I personally made, and you realize this isn't the shredder. This is my list. Mm-hmm. My, the, the one mistake that I would say I made was I put Brandon Crawford ahead of him. And that's bias on my part. I like Brandon Crawford. I like the cut of his jib. He had a good peak. He's very steady. He's excellent defensively. And I really thought, hey, if I have to live with a guy for six months, would I rather have Brandon Crawford or D.D. Gregorius? And given the age, I should have went D.D. and I went Brandon Crawford because I have a good, you know, he has a good brand name. You know, he's Brandon Crawford of the world champion Giants. And he had two good offensive years, and I went with that. And I think that was my mistake. Other than that, Gene Segura, Elvis Andrus. Elvis Andrus uh, is a tough one. Elvis Andrus yeah. is, is one of those guys who, who seemingly has underperformed for years, never been the guy that no, they no, expected no, what, him to be. Not the last, look at his last two years. Again, the la- I'm, you know, what is most applicable is most recent, obviously, and then moving backwards. So the last two to three years, um, Xander, Bogart, Xander Bogarts and Elvis Andrus have been better than Didi Gregorius. So is Gene Segura. All three of those guys have been better than Didi Gregorius the last two years. Now, I don't have this April. You know, at the time I'm doing, I'm, sure, I'm sure. doing my list Christmas time. I don't, if you could tell me that, hey, by the way, Didi in April is going to go 400 on base, 660 slugging. I wish you had told me. Right. I would have changed. I would have changed my rankings. But I would say, but I'm completely comfortable with my top 10. And that's what I think everyone is, you know, uh, on Twitter. What, what are you going to change your top 10? And I tell them, 
there's no changing the top 10. You do your top 10 in the offseason, and you live with it. I'm not doing a floating top 10. If I did a floating top 10, well, you know, um, Jed Lowry would have to vault up. Like, we'd be moving everybody. You'd be cha- you can do it. You could have a, hey, here's our standard top 10 at each position. But we don't do that. We do it in the offseason, and then you see how things turned out. So, but I will defend my D.D. Gregorius at number 10. I had him 10. I will defend it with you for the next two hours if you want. And I'm completely comfortable. And the only place where you will beat me, where you'll have me logically, is Brandon Crawford. But the other guys, I'm completely comfortable having Gregorius with what I knew back in January, having him 10th. See, that's the thing for us, though. We don't remember what happened uh, before the season now. So we're just looking at what's in front of us and see this guy who's doing amazing things, has the big smile on his face, can tweet with the, with the, uh, with the fans, and is you know the, one of the more clutch players in baseball at this point. And so uh, for people who aren't familiar with the shredder and things that you guys are taking into consideration for it, what are, what are the grand scale like, uh, on the top? What are we looking at as far as the – I'm sure it's a deep algorithm, but are there main things? You mentioned that we're looking at the, the past, the past couple of years. How far back does it go? Because obviously when Didi, you know, before he came to the Yankees, he was a very, very different player. Um, and then even that first year, you're starting to see marked improvements. Does it, does it take that into consideration when you see a guy year by year put up better numbers? Um. It takes into cons- I can't give it away exactly. You know okay. the uh, it's, a, it's 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 proprietary, but I'm not trying to overcomplicate it. It's just our formula that we like. It's not complicated. It's what the guy has done recently, mm-hmm. um, and what he we project that he was he is going to do. But if a guy has say a hot second half. And the reason he hasn't been performing the last few years is because he's had a wrist injury, like, say, like Ryan Zimmerman. The shredder has no way of knowing that, right? Mm-hmm. Because you can't go into the individual, you know, player for, you know, 400 guys. It just can't. So it's much more simplistic than that. But it's looking at, hey, what does the player do? How does he hit? Weighted runs created plus. How does he feel? Do we have defensive runs saved? Base running runs for his base running. Overall wins above replacement. There are all sorts of things that go into the stew, but it's basically just looking at what the player has done recently. And yeah, track record matters, but at a certain point, um, too much of a track record, like the guys on the other side of 30, that's not in his favor. And you have to make adjustments for what you expect he's going to do. But D.D. Gregorius, um, even the last two years, he's been barely above league average offensively. And I've pointed out on Twitter, like if, if the D.D. Gregorius that you were just mentioning, you know, he's smiling, he's <laughs> slugging 660, he's got a 400 on base, he's tremendously clutch, he's making excellent plays at shortstop. The, if, if this is D.D. Gregorius, the question is, isn't, is he the t- in the top 10? It's, is he the best live ball shortstop of all time? Like, he's better than Cal Ripken right now. <laughs> so if you're saying, no, 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 this is D.D. this year and the next five years, well, he's a Hall of Famer. Like, it's not a, if he does this, it's not, is he in the top 10? It's, well, is he Lou Boudreau? You know, is he better than, um, you know, Joe Cronin? He's like an all-time shortstop. But I don't think he's going to continue at this pace. I think one of the biggest changes we're seeing from him today, and it's, it's something that Aaron Boone early on in spring training challenged Didi, was to be more patient at the plate, to take more of those pitches. And you can see why they want to do that. They have the, you know, the big bats behind him or in front of him. And you know, being a patient DD, getting that on-base percentage, you just mentioned that, his on-base percentage is higher. I, I, it seems to be that's one of the big reasons for his success. He is being more patient. And when you're looking at batted balls inside the zone, Didi's, you know, he's taking care of things when he sees a pitch that he likes. Oh, no question. Again, but you're getting really into the weeds. 
Um, you know, very rarely does a player uh, change his batting profile. Right. And now I'm looking at his walk percentage. His walk percentage the last three years were 5.7%, 3.2%, 4.4%. So I want you to answer this for me. What would you predict his walk rate would be knowing those numbers? 6%, 3%, 4.5%. What would his walk rate be this year? You know those previous three years. He's a major league player who is going into his age 28 season. Yeah, I'm going to say higher than, than before, obviously. So closer to 6%. Yeah, you could go to 6%. You could say, hey, I'm going to go up to 7%. Right. I'll go to 8%. I think he's really going to improve his eye. It's 13%. Yeah. Like, there's no chance. <laughs> I, you know, people who are telling me, you have to be able to see it coming. I'm, I'm telling them, hey, go work for a team. Get out there and start scouting. Because if you can tell a guy is going to, you know, triple his walk rate in a given year, get out to the college and high school fields and tell me who has this aptitude because what you know is worth millions of dollars. Like if you can tell that and what he's doing now, come on, it's not going to last. Like Odubel Herrera last year from the Phillies for a certain period of time had this like absurdly high walk rate and was hitting for power and was this great, and he's a really good player, but you know, he's not going to have a 440 on base, which is what he had for a period of time last year year. And by the way, speaking of which, like I remember saying, hey, right now, Odubel Herrera is one of the greatest leadoff hitters in history, right? Because at the time he was, and people laughed at me. And I said, no, 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 I'm not saying he's Ted Williams moving forward. I'm not saying he's Ricky Henderson. I'm saying right now, he's got a 440 on base. His walk rate is off the charts. I don't know, it was like 17, 18%. So all he did was walk. And it was, you know, if you're leading off, it's better to draw walks than get hits. It's, it walks are at, at their most efficient leading off. So I said, he's a all time I'm great leadoff hitter. And people mocked it because everyone knows, oh, come on, it's the first month of the season. Well, that's what I would tell people about Didi. Well, it's it, great. He's excellent. It's the first month of the season. It is, first, it is the first month of the season. But when you start looking at the previous numbers from, from his just the years in the past, and I'll just take the Yankees because to me that you throw out the, uh, the Arizona numbers – uh, for, for this sample. When you're looking at the numbers, in 2017, he walked 25 times in the entire season. 2016, he has already matched that number of 19 for the 2018 season. And yes, it's early in the season, but he's doing it at such a rate that there's an obvious... There's an obvious shift in his mindset and what he's doing and how he's approaching the plate. I mean, we saw this when he came over from, from Arizona in, uh, you know, for the 2015 season. I mean, one of the knocks on Didi, right, was that he couldn't hit left-handed pitching. And then all of a sudden, he became one of the better shortstops against left-handed pitching. The guy has proven that he can make these adjustments you know, in, in a season, uh, you know, across the, uh, an offseason. He just seems like a very cerebral player in the sense that he is able to feel his body to the point where he can make those those adjustments uh, you know on uh, relatively quickly I hear you and yet why didn't he do it before this year you know I don't know maybe there was a challenge this guy loves the situation he loves the the, the challenge to be in the bottom of the ninth with uh, you know with guys on but and he's it's on been, his shoulders. Come on. he's been in the major leagues five years and now he got challenged and he's responding and his whole game has changed? I think there's a confidence level when you look at a guy like Didi and he knows who's around them. That he, one, he knows he's going to get better pitches. So he doesn't have to chase those pitches. When you're, when you're surrounded by G, uh, Giancarlo Stanton, Aaron Judge, Gary Sanchez, you don't have to be looking outside the, you know, a specific zone or, or a specific two zones that you're looking for. If they're not in, you know, in those spots where you're looking, if I'm Didi Gregorius, I'm just not going to swing at it. 
And you know that these guys are around them. So theoretically, if you're thinking of a mindset of a pitcher, of a starting pitcher, who are you going to attack? And early on, it's definitely been Didi, and he's been making them pay. Well, listen, I know what you're saying, but step back for a minute. I want you to name for me, because I can think of two. Name me two players who have done that, you know, at 28 years old. Name, name me some other players who have gone from pretty good to outstanding, and they stayed that way for a number of years. Name them. Uh, I can name one off the top of my head, and it may be wrong, but from my memory, Barry Bonds made a ridiculous transition. Oh, no, well, Barry Bonds <laughs> went on a massive cocktail of hormones. Well, absolutely, yes, but that's one of those guys. No, right, right, so we're not talking steroid dudes. I can, I'm, you know, I'm not looking to pin you down here, but I'm just trying to point out that you're, you're making all sorts of reasons why Didi is different, and I'm saying maybe he is. Um, Daniel Murphy of right, the okay. Nationals. Uh, is one of those guys. He went from being one player for a, a good period of time, pretty good player, and then became a monster, an MVP candidate. Is that D.D. Gregorius? Maybe. You know, I'm, I'm throwing it out. Maybe. You could be right. Um, but there's not many guys like that. Jose Bautista was another guy. He was mediocre for the Pirates number of years, became a monster for the Blue Jays. Um, so, David, okay, you could say that about David two. Ortiz. You could say that about David uh, Ortiz going yes, from Minnesota. Yep, that, that's true. Now, he may have been a bit younger at that point. You know, so now you got to – it's not – that could be part of, like, just a natural development. Look, by the way, there's lots of guys who bloom – Late, mm-hmm. but Gregorius had been in the league getting playing 155 games. I'm just looking at Yankees 155, 153, 136 games. Three years, it's a pretty good sample size, right? At three years, you start to figure out who a guy is. His OPS plus was below league average, he was a below league average hitter. Now, above league average for a shortstop, I'm not saying he stinks, I'm saying he's a 97 OPS plus for three. Full seasons, all with the New York Yankees, not Arizona, and that's age 25, 26, 27. If you're saying, hey, you know what, he's the guy that's going to make a tremendous leap going into his age 28 season because he has aptitude, he likes to be challenged, okay, but that is, uh, that's a one-in-a-million shot. Yeah, no, I, I, I see wh- when you're talking about it and you're seeing, you know, trying to see a guy make a jump like that, it, it makes it makes sense where you would not predict that. I don't think many people did. Um, Let's let's move on beyond Didi because I think we all are, are uh, now on the same page of why you got there. Um, when we're talking about Aaron Judge and Babip is a is a stat that I really like because I think it tells a lot about a player. Uh, his high his high last year three fifty seven he was what top ten um, top fifteen in the league. This year he's at a, a four oh three. Is this is this an aberration or is this something that's sustainable because he does actually hit the ball so hard? Well, yeah, I, I think, uh, first of all, players have like a Babbitt baseline. So, um, you know, Judge probably hasn't even established that as of yet. It's his second year. Right. He also hits the ball harder than anyone else. Uh, so you easily could be looking at him just working into his Babbitt baseline. Uh, Joey Votto, was, for his, was very high. Uh, I think Derek Jeter had a high you know, normal Babbitt because that's, you know, just how you hit the ball and how hard you hit the ball. Um, 400 sounds very high. Right. Were you saying it was 357 last year? It was. 400 sounds high, but we don't know. A guy who is number one, and I think he was if he's not still in exit velocity, and like top five in barrels you know, per plate appearance, like how often you're really just smoking the ball. Like, you know, have you heard, you know, the barrels per plate appearance, right? I know yes. how much. 
I, yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe some of the listeners don't know, but barrels barreling a ball means you're hitting it at 98 miles an hour and up at a certain launch angle, meaning you're not hitting a ground ball and you're not hitting a pop-up. You know, you basically want, this is a screaming line drive or something that's vaulted, you know, that goes up a little higher. That can be a home run. Basically it's like the best possible, uh, you know, result. So, in that measure, whether it's caught or not, that's not results as far as, you know, it was a double off the wall or it was a screaming line drive into a glove in right field. It just measures what the, hit, the hitter does, which is much more skill-based. So if you're top three and, or five in that and judge is that, um, then, yeah, his, his Babbitt baseline would likely be the best in baseball. So, you know, I don't know. There's probably some luck involved, but there's probably more skill than luck there. Yeah, and I mean one of the one of the reasons that he attributes to is the the change in swing. I mean, we saw him come up, uh, you know, the end of the season in uh, in 2016. He was striking out a 50 percent clip. He went and worked with a, a new coach, Richard Skank, who we actually had on the show, and talking about how they really just changed his swing and how he's coming through a lot longer. Uh, you know, the barrels starting flatter through the zone. They were looking at uh, a lot of uh, a lot of Barry Bonds swing actually and, and trying to duplicate that. That's where he got his his swing mechanics from the coach uh, I'm speaking of. Um, and they actually went back and were looking at, you know, he's looking at film of Babe Ruth. I mean, that's that's the the type of stuff that this guy was doing to get that <laughs> swing, you know, more flat and through the zone. Thinking about Aaron Judge, you're hitting the ball at any point, whether it's deep or early, you know, you're going to make contact. It's going to be hard hit. A better chance of the ball doing some damage. No, look, there's a real science to it now, not that there wasn't before, but there's a lot more ways of going about it and studying these things. And I think um, that's the next, you know, this is, it's the wave of analytics that is now taking over the game is examining and performance maximizing. And there's just more ways of looking at things than, (coughs) excuse me, than ever before. And it's good to see, like, you know, I know, the popular thing is to think, hey, just grip it and rip it. These guys aren't thinking of their numbers. and They're not thinking of sabermetrics. Yeah, but they're thinking of how to get better. And there is a real science to it. And, uh, you know, now more than ever, I mean, if you look at one of the things that's happened in baseball the last two, three years is an explosion of coaches, of yeah. pitching strategists, hitting strategists like the guys you're mentioning, you know, and now it's not, Hey, you can't bring in your own guy. Now it is. No, no, no. Tell us who your guy is. Let's see. Hey, maybe he can work with other players because there's just a lot of ways of getting it done. And I, I, that is, that's kind of the new wave of analytics in baseball that it's very player and scouting and coaching centric. It's funny because uh, Richard Skank, who is his uh, hitting coach in the off season was a, a, a catcher at a, at a small, uh, school in college played college ball you know years ago and couldn't hit mm-hmm. and was driven by the fact that he could not hit so went to his basement for hours and hours and hours and recorded himself for hours and hours and hours taking swings like Barry Bonds trying to figure out <laughs> exactly why and how Barry Bonds was able to make the contact that he was and uh, and and make the uh, you know have the power contact so it's actually pretty fascinating uh, to see how right. he got to you that know. point Right, um, it's harder for Barry Bonds to explain it because Barry, you know, I mean, his his muscles would just get there. You sure. know, his vision, his genetic makeup, and then you know, adding to his genetic makeup, you know, <laughs> right. he, that ball was getting to the bat and destroying anything in the zone. But it's harder for a guy like that to explain to a lesser human sure. like how to get that done. 
So one of the things I know on your show that I've seen a number of times is you and uh, you and our guy Al Leiter going going at it, talking about team chemistry and how you know Al's uh, all about the, the fact that it does exist and helps on the field. And I know you're more on the number side saying it doesn't. What is uh, how does this come into play when we're talking about a guy like Austin Romine and Sonny Gray and this personal catcher situation with the it seems like there's an apparent either uh, you know just a, a chemistry or just a comfort level with Sonny Gray, but he's pitching better to him. And now we're dealing with a, a personal catcher situation, which, you know, the other guy, uh, guy on the show, Andrew and I both are not fans of we're, we're you know, we want to see uh, Gary Sanchez being in there as much as possible. So what are your thoughts on um, specifically these guys, but personal catchers in general? Oh, I think, you know, the, the relationship between a pitcher and catcher, I mean, there's no question that's, you know, a strong, um, you know, area of communication and, uh, you know, a complex relationship. Um, the, the point with, you know, me and, you know, chemistry and, and baseball is that it's largely an individual sport. And, you know, I've, I, again, growing up, I, know I and I recognize this, it's real. And you can, you know, you have to live with these guys for six months. And mm-hmm. it's better to have high energy, positive vibes coming from your teammates that are encouraging you and not breaking you down. I mean, obviously, I, I always thought that stuff goes without saying. Um, that said, it was always, you know, growing up, I'd heard, hey, you couldn't win with Ted Williams. You can't win with Barry Bonds. And I'm thinking... You no, know, yeah, you can. You just need you need more of them, not less of them. So you you can win with great players uh, because you're largely doing things on your own. It's not soccer, by the way. If you're telling me that there's no chemistry in basketball and you got a point guard who's selfish, no, 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 I disagree. Like that, that is a problem. I agree. <laughs> you know, I, I agree with the chemistry fans out there. Uh, a center midfielder, this is center halfback in soccer. If you tell me that guy is selfish, well, you got a real problem because that guy's just distributing the ball and the, the key to the, you know, to winning is spreading the field in basketball, in any team sport, in hockey, you've got to, you've got to pass. You've got to use your teammates. You've got to spread the field. You've got to flow. That's not what's happening in baseball. The one place you can say it happens is pitcher to catcher. So all bets are off there. If you want to tell me and you want to tell me that, Hey, this catcher is better because he works and he, with the pitchers, he calls a good game. He encourages them. And that doesn't show up in his wins above replacement. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Catching is still the vast unknown. The, the one area I think I'll disagree in the sense is that, you know, in 2016, the late run that the Yankees had when all the kids came up, you saw an absolute, uh, a different team in, in the way that they were playing and how they played. And, and those guys, it seems like the, the young guys rejuvenated the veterans to play at a higher level. And in baseball, in, in my experience, is when you are not thinking, when you're loose, when you're having fun, things just happen more naturally. And, and this is probably in any sport. But when you start to press and you know, things are, are, are tight, you, know, you don't actually perform up to the ability that you can be that, that good player on the, on the back of the card. Um, that you can actually play at a superior level at that point. Or inferior level. No, I, uh, yeah, I, I do not disagree with you there at all. No, I, I, I agree with that completely. The, the best two teams right now at the top of the MLB power rankings, or the majority of them, are the Yankees and the Red Sox. Uh, we've seen some, both of these teams have had some long streaks. Do you believe that they are two of the, the best teams, if not the two best teams, or is this str- the, are the two streaks skewing things this early? Uh, no, I think they're powerhouses. I think it's obvious that they're so stacked with outstanding players top to bottom and the Red Sox getting J.D. Martinez on top of everything else 
And now, you know, if David Price is good, he was good for a while. Now he's a little, um, you know, sketchy, but it was a good David Price for a while. You can see what the Red Sox look like when they're operating on all cylinders. Um, the Yankees are, are very powerful, and it's been an infusion of young guys now where they are. They're young and springy. You could see them going up against the Astros where that was just a heavyweight matchup that could go either way. And for a good part of that series, I think like midway through game two, I think that was when Verlander was pitching, um, it felt like, uh-oh, these Astros might just wipe the Yankees out. And the Yankees came from behind in that game and took three out of four in the series. Right. So, you know, uh, the, the Yankees, uh, I think, are establishing themselves now, and it's easy to say when you're on this type of run, but they've established themselves as, um, you know, they were they were already a super team, but if there's an upper upper echelon, <laughs> I think they're in it. And it's the, but the Red Sox are there, the Astros are there, um, and the National League teams are having trouble getting there, and the Indians are having trouble getting there. But I think they will be there. I don't think the Angels are that powerful. They're pretty good, so I think there is kind of like a top tier. Look, Cubs aren't there. Dodgers might not ever get there. So kind of that li- Nationals have struggled to get there. So in the I've just named the teams that I thought were the upper strata. You know, the champ I call it like the Premier League. There's a Premier League and sure. then there's a have-nots and then there's teams in the middle class just fuddling around trying their best. Yankees, Red Sox, Astros, Indians, Nationals, Cubs, Dodgers. That was the upper tier. We've seen already the Diamondbacks belong there. Maybe the Dodgers aren't going to be there. But I think, you know, as strong as the Yankees are, no matter what they do, come playoff time, it's going to be, you know, Yankees, Red Sox, Indians, Astros. Those are super teams, and anybody can win a playoff series. Yeah, no, I agree. I think the pitching, uh, when we're talking about American League East, is the are the two areas that are most important because the offenses on the Yankees and the Red Sox are both you know, very good. And it really does go back down to the pitching uh, if they can deliver. Uh, Brian, before we get out of here, uh, one thing I wanted to talk about is, is something that I thought was interesting that, that you've been talking about on your show as well. It's a, a theory that you're, you're talking about, about kill the error, uh, basically to eliminate the error in baseball. Uh, can you talk about, you know, your, your theory on that and, and why you think that we saw something on, on Sunday when, uh, Clevenger was pitching, it was a no hitter at the time when DD hit a ball down the right field line and it, it was marked an error. Some say it shouldn't have been, uh, but, but it seems like there's a lot of gray area these days in the errors. Oh, and it's always been this way. I yeah. mean, in, in modern baseball, uh, I uh, devoted a few pages of this in ahead of the curve in my book, uh, that's out in paperback now. Um, where I, I, you know, I, I, a lot of the things that we treasure in baseball that we grew up liking and following, batting average, the pit, individual pitching win and errors, they made a lot of sense. Triple crown numbers, too. They made a lot of sense in the 19th century. Right around the time that the ball became live and Babe Ruth was putting it into the seats, all of that was out the window. And there was a new way of calculating baseball. But it took us 90 years to catch up to it. There used to be, I mean, I don't even, like in the 1870s, in 1880s, there were 12 errors a game in Major League Baseball. You didn't have gloves. The field was kind of rickety. It was a mess. You know, the ball could bounce any which way. They were swatting the ball hard on the ground. You know, the ball was dead. It took funny bounces. 12 errors a game in Major Leagues, the highest level of competition. Right now, you know how many there are? Yeah, I saw the numbers. They're, they're low. One, uh, it was under two, I think. One. Yeah. One. One per game. Maybe it's 1.2 at best, depending on how it fluctuates. Right. There's one error per game in a major league game. That means each team makes one 
every other day. So first of all, they don't happen that much. We have an emotional attachment to it because they're very noisy. They're loud. You see a, a ball, you know, the fielding is so good at the major league level. When a guy bonks one off his glove, we do have a, a real attachment to it. We go, whoa, what was that? Oh, he screwed that up. Right. But it rarely happens. It really, we just remember it because it's, it's such an anomaly at this point. And then the other part is, I'm serious. When you start tracking this stuff, when you start following it, because at MLB Network, we watch a ton of games every day. And I will sit there doing a three-hour MLB tonight, and I'll see one play after another, and I'll ask our two guys. Normally, I'm on the desk with two ex-major leaguers, right? Mm-hmm. You mentioned Al Leiter, Pedro Martinez, John Smoltz. And I'll say, all right, was that a hit or an error? And they'll go, oh, you've got to make that play. And the other guy will say, you can't make that play. That's an error. And I'm like, well, so what is it? What are we doing? Like, if there's only one per game, and, and there is, you say there's some gray area? No, no, no. It's like... 85% gray area. There's only a few that are obvious. And when you track it on an everyday basis, and I've started doing it on MLB now, and we've had three versions already. We've done this three times of hit or error. Like we play a game show. You tell me, fellas, hit or error. And you know what? When you do that once, I've done this for people that have sat in on the show just one time. You will sit there. You will go. Five, we'll do, we did five from this weekend alone, just from the weekend, five. And I say, you tell me, hit or error. And invariably, everyone on the panel splits, and half the panel is right, half the panel is wrong. And you know what? You realize we're making it up as we go along. There's almost no distinction. And as far as you know, but what are you going to do? How are you going to know what's an error and what's a hit? Guess what? It doesn't matter, especially in this day and age. If you put the ball in play and you reach base, that's a hit. You made contact. You got on. A lot of times, uh, Derek Jeter, I'll bring him up too since it's a Yankee podcast, was one of those players that would reach on error quite a bit through the season. And it's a skill set. You hit the ball hard to the left side of the field. You have decent speed. You're going to reach on a lot of errors. Derek Jeter Year to year, I'm not looking at it right now, but year to year would have like seven to nine reach on errors per season. Those should have been added to his on base. He deserved to get those plays because he earned them. And there may have been one that went right off a guy's glove and it was completely the fielder's fault, but there's not that many of them. Most of them, the, the hitter, his skill is playing a part in reaching on an error and he should get credit for it. Yeah, I mean... I- I don't disagree to to the in the in the grand scheme. I, I think that because there are so few, I think the only thing I would say was that there because there are so few is it is you know what's the point if there's only one a game at that point? You know what's what harm is it doing at this point? Um, you're still getting if, and, and you know what if right and if you didn't track them, yeah. To, this is like the pitcher win. I tell people this: if you didn't track them, like if you just paid no attention to them, guess what happens? Nothing. Right. You know, it's not like, oh, but I'm not like saying you get rid of RBIs. No, RBIs actually occur on the field. You're driving in a run. Those actually happen. But as far as an error, it might as well be a hit. And a pitcher win, that's a thing that's floating around in the air. It doesn't even exist. Sure. So once you, start, once you start accepting that, hey, if a guy hits the ball and reaches base, he deserves it. He earned it in some fashion. And as far as, yeah, but how are you going to know how to, how to chart the fielder if the fielder is good or if he's bad? Guess what? Nobody's looking at errors. There are, for example, we have uh, Mark Simon on today on MLB Now. He's with Baseball Info Solutions. He was with ESPN for a number of years. He used to be like my researcher. We used to like do radio segments together at ESPN. And I said, how many designations do you have for misplays, for defensive misplays? He said 60. Wow. <laughs> 60. So we have right now two. 
We have hit and error. <laughs> Two, there are 60. So guess what? Knowing if it's a hit or an error because you want to assess blame or something, it doesn't matter. Give the guy a hit. And if you and I could sit and watch baseball three hours a day for one week, you would be completely on board with me because you would see one after another. Was that a hit? Well, it was kind of hard to get to, but the guy was running hard and oh, it took a bad hop. You know what? Forget it. What are we doing? You wouldn't bother doing it after one week of following it. I think as long as we had an error spot on the on the back of Chase Headley's card, I would feel okay because if you're looking <laughs> at his range towards the line, it was phenomenal. The guy would get to everything, but he would botch countless throws over the top for no reason at all. He would just airmail it and it would drive you absolutely crazy. It seemed like his range was fine when you see him glove the ball. Lots of leather on balls, but as soon as it went into his right hand to make that throw to first base, only God knew where that ball was going to go. So that was that I think that's my one, you know, anomaly of uh, of the error. Right. And you wanted to assess blame. You wanted to punish him. <laughs> yeah, I did. We, you <laughs> I know, it's true. We well, did. Trust we, me, that, that goes in, but that goes in again. The way when they're tracking the defense of a player, it goes in. It goes into such a much more sophisticated depth than just hit or error. Which, by the way, you just did. You've already like gone deep into the whole, you know, where he's making his misplays. Sure. And misplays happen. Bad defensive plays happen. They're being charted, um, and that's where the the. But as far as errors and fielding percentage. It's, you know, it's 1890s, man, and it's, it, we're not there now. It's much more sophisticated, and tracking errors is just, uh, you're wasting your time. Like, we're just having fun anyway. I know we're just watching baseball, but, like, I don't know. I'd like to use my time productively to what is actually happening on the field and not some nonsense thing that seemed to make sense when I was eight years old. Brian, I really appreciate it. It's fun talking with you about this stuff. Uh, I know we'll, we'll add probably a few thousand more Yankees fans to make your make your phone melt on Twitter when Didi does something uh, does something good <laughs> for the Yankees, especially late in the game when we're really fired up. Um, but no, I really do appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. And just uh, real quick, guys, if you're listening, you can find Brian on Twitter. It's at Mr. Brian Kenny. He is the host of MLB Now. You can find him weekdays at 4 p.m. Uh, and don't forget that MLB Network is airing live games all weekend, including tomorrow's Red Sox Blue Jays game at 7 o'clock. Brian, thanks a lot for, for coming on the show. All right. I enjoyed it. Thank you, man. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it, and go Yankees. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.